Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our reading today is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 18. We're going to be reading the NIV version. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard amongst you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I really enjoyed watching the Olympics recently. They're a bit of a nostalgia trip for me because I grew up with a professional spectator. My mum never played any sport to my knowledge, but years of watching had made her an expert. She could call every shot in tennis and tuck when the snooker players missed or sigh if the rider missed the jumping show jumping. Not playing or knowing how to play didn't really stop her from having an opinion and sharing it. It's fun to have opinions, especially when you learn the patter from others. So listening to her and the other commentators, I also learned to call a good shot from a bad one, appreciate a good rally in tennis or a good snooker setup. I could moan and cheer with the crowd watching the show jumping because I had learned how hard that four bar jump over water really was. The trouble was neither she nor I had any real investment in what we were watching. We were just on the sidelines imagining we knew what we were talking about, but Neither of us had trained, unless you counted timing our snacks with the commercials. Neither of us had put in the hours of application and commitment these athletes had. We were just there to watch. And surprisingly, neither of us were improving at tennis or show jumping or snooker. The church has been compared to a soccer game. Crowds of spectators desperately in need of exercise and a handful of people on the pitch desperately needing a rest. We can all relate to this, can't we? We've all seen this scenario, the committed core and the rest. Right now, during lockdown in Melbourne, we're forced to experience much of our lives as spectators, including church. How many of us have heard ourselves refer to watching the service at church or rescheduling it for a more convenient time even? Maybe that's just me. Even before COVID forced most of us to watch, there's been a subtle pull in church always, to observe rather than take part, hasn't there? To enact, to analyse rather than engage, to commentate or pass judgment on the way things are done. It's a tendency we're trained in by the world we live in, which constantly asks our opinions and invites our our comment. We have become professional listeners, consumers, viewers. But church is not a spectator sport. We're all involved in being the church. We're all in the game. There's no sitting on the sidelines calling the play. We're all vital in the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel as active members of God's community until Jesus returns. This is not just a a pretty idea or a utopian ideal, but it's essential to our training in righteousness. God doesn't just use his word and his Holy Spirit to train us. He uses us to train and refine each other. So we're starting at the end of Paul's first epistle, as I'm the first cab off the ranks, 
um, in my preaching class. And he's encouraging the church at Thessalonica with some guidelines on how to live out the gospel in community. It's his application section, if you like, his landing. And I'm focusing on the idea implied in the way that he finishes this letter that every single person matters, whether leader or led, whether strong or weak. Each has a contribution to make. Each and every member of this church has a part to play in living out the gospel in a manner worthy of God as they wait for the Lord Jesus to come. It's not really a spoiler alert to hear that this is true for us as well. We each have a part to play in living out the gospel with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Clearly, we have different expectations to the Thessalonians. They and Paul were expecting Jesus to return very soon. So it's not surprising if we see things a little differently. We could be forgiven for lacking a sense of urgency. But on the other hand, no one wants to be like the foolish virgins let their oil run out. So what does living with the expectation of Jesus' return look like? Well, this closing passage suggests that it looks a lot like doing for others as you would have them do for you, as Jesus said in Matthew and in Luke. Paul loves this church. They are precious to him. He opens the letter with his longing to see them, his joy in the good reports he and Silas have had from Timothy's visit to them. This is a church's church, a shining example, a flagship church, a model of the faith for churches all around the region. They've been through hardships and persecutions. They've shared the gospel. They've kept the faith. They are a real source of joy, the glory even of Paul and Tim and Silas who planted them. But for all that, some aspects of secular life in Thessalonica are undermining them as a church community. So in the later chapters, Paul addresses their challenges, their issues around status and sexual morality. And in the passage just before this one, he's urged them to live self-controlled lives in the light of Jesus' return. And he's reassured them that God has appointed them for salvation through, um, through Jesus. He could have ended the letter there, really, in, in chapter 5, verse 11, with these words. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. God bless. Goodbye. But he doesn't end there. Instead, he goes on to give them a list of instructions for how to do that, how to encourage each other, how to build each other up. And he shows in his instructions that each one has a part to play, leaders and led. He started off by praising this young church for the way they preached the gospel. And he finishes with a blueprint for how this maturing church must live the gospel. The first part, Paul says, is to honour those in leadership. That's in verses 12 and 13. Treat them with great esteem, knowing that they are working hard for you to admonish you and encourage you in the Lord. Treating them with this kind of honour is really to display an active, wholehearted positivity towards and about their leaders. It means speaking well of them. It means praying for them. It means encouraging and supporting them with your loyalty and your goodwill and your commitment. It means believing the best. Paul calls for us to love our leaders like this. This is easy if you like them or respect them or had a part in selecting them even. But with leaders you don't agree with or get along with or who do not share your own passions for, say, evangelism or liturgy or no liturgy or contemporary worship or hymns or didn't get us back to in-person services quickly enough before the last lockdown or did it too quickly or recorded their messages instead of live streaming or fill in the blanks. To you, Paul says, esteem your leaders greatly. Know that they are working hard for you. They are working hard for God and for the gospel. And live in peace with each other, Paul says. 
That esteem he's calling for is a default peace setting. Everyone needs to play their part. The leader has their part to lead, and our part is to follow well. Then in verses 14 and 15, Paul tells them to honour each other. Notice here that everything Paul mentions the leaders doing is what he asks the brothers and sisters to do. Leaders admonish or warn. Paul says in verse 14, brothers and sisters admonish each other. He wants us to take the lead, much as if we were leaders. We are to warn fellow believers who are idle or disruptive, as some translations put it. In Paul's day, this was a note to those whose wealth gave them a certain status or who lived off the wealthy. For us, it's different, of course. It may be those whose status comes from another source, like who they're related to or how long they've been in the church or a spectacular gift they have or ministry or role they have within or even outside the church. Warn them, Paul says. He tells us to take the lead in doing that. We all know the disruptive ones. Sometimes even we are the disruptive ones. And it sounds simple, but warning someone does take courage and risks hostility. It may come more easily to some of us than others, depending on our temperament. But we're not just a group of self-realising individuals, nor are we spectators watching from the couch with a packet of chips and a Coke. We are part of this. We are part of the bigger entity, the body of Christ. And if one part of the body is not working as it should, the whole body is affected, as Paul tells us elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. And we all know this, don't we, from our own experience Try doing anything if any part of your body isn't working well, with a headache, with a sore knee, or even a paper cup. Warning and admonishing each other makes the ground of our relationships Christ, not just mateship and a religious social club. And it's not just up to the leaders. Now, for us here at Ridley, as leaders and leaders in training, perhaps we consider this can consider this call to sharpen each other in the light of the spectacular leadership fails that have caused such brokenness in the church and brought into disrepute in recent days and weeks and months. We all have a part to play. If we don't, as we've seen, the whole body suffers. On the positive side, Paul encourages the church in Thessalonica to support those with needs, encouraging the fearful, helping the weak, being patient with those who just can't seem to get it together. How many of us have been encouraged in our fear? Help when we felt weak, been listened to patiently by Christian brothers and sisters. How many of us have been damaged by a lack of patience or compassion within the church? Sadly, that's often what drives people away when our agendas or our programs don't make space for compassion or care. We grow in grace when we support others, and our understanding of God's grace to us grows when we receive support from others. Church life is not every man for himself. It's not survivor. We are in this together. We all have a part to play, to look out for and take account of the needs of others. Paul's writing to a community that's very close, probably brought closer through persecution, perhaps more alive to each other's needs than we are in Melbourne in 2021. Sadly, even before COVID, you could sit in church beside someone struggling with discouragement or fear or huge challenges without even knowing it. And it's on us to do more than just hope that people are closer in this challenging time. We need to be willing to draw closer. Like many of us here, I've been deeply challenged by loss during this period. And the support of close Christian friends checking in on me has helped me to understand and experience God's grace in new ways. Paul's words to the, to, to the, Paul's words to the church which 
was such a great example, but even more needed today. And Paul calls us to help each other in our own weakness. We need to be prepared to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ because we all have a part to play. But we also get to play. Indeed, God commands it. In the middle of this passage, verse 17, if you're following along, Paul instructs them that God's will is for them to rejoice in him. Paul was reminding them of their origins when they first received the gospel with joy. And he encourages them here to continue in that joy that they received in the Holy Spirit. These instructions land the gospel in our real lives. They don't add another burden to it. Paul's saying, keep going, keep building each other up in the gospel. Remember the joy you had in God at the start of all of this. Rejoice in God. Pray at all times and in all places. Thank him for everything. This is God's will for you to take deep delight in him, to engage in life-giving, energizing celebration as we remember what God has done for us in Christ and that Christ is returning for his bride. It's not an obvious or easy thing to do, especially when things are difficult. But it is God's will for his children in Christ. And rejoicing in God is a healthy reset when we've allowed ourselves to be distracted or distressed or demoralised. He is worthy of praise always when we feel like it and when we don't, whether we like the music or we don't like the music. In this time, can I encourage you to set aside even just a few minutes in your day to worship God, to remind yourself of how glorious, majestic and beautiful he is, because that does not change whatever else changes around us. And he does not change. And when we come together in worship, as we have this morning, when we set aside time to be together in his name, we glorify God. When worship is not performance or pretend, God is glorified and we all have a part to play in glorifying him. Paul turns his attention then to the work of the Holy Spirit through fellow believers. He names prophecy as a contentious issue. And that advice seems just as fresh as when he wrote it. And we still struggle with this, don't we? Depending on our backgrounds and our experience, we may either wince or cheer when someone claims to have a prophetic word. But Paul says, take your time, weigh things up, be open to the good. God is always at work. God has given everyone a part to play in building his church. He's distributed his gifts to all of us. And he's not to be limited by our preferences or our comfort zone. And at the close of this letter, he asks for prayer for himself, for Timothy and for Silas, modelling the fact that we all need each other's prayers. And he tells the listeners to this letter to ensure that this letter is read to everyone because every single member of the church needs to know that they have a role to play in the life of God's people. This was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true now. I know I need the guidelines spelled out for me, so there's no doubt, no fuzziness, no, well, that was a nice message. I don't get to click off my remote and go on about my own business. No, this list tells me there's a set of principles to live by as a member of the body of Christ. I am not a passenger, nor a passive follower, nor a spectator. I'm a fully active and significant member of this church, just as the church at Thessalonica, with a part to play in God's mission. If Paul never sees this church again, these instructions sum up what the gospel looks like in real life with real messy people. Church is not a spectator sport. As God's people, we are to live actively, responsibly and joyfully with and for each other while we wait to be with Jesus. 
We all have a part to play in helping each other to live other-centered, joyful lives, knowing that God is doing the work of preparing us to be with him forever. I'll close with the blessing that Paul gives in verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.